I learned to love the way you showed me. Teeth bared like the dizzy white of 7-Eleven aisles at 2 a.m. When our eyes droop across faces wondering if they know how fucked up I am right now and most all the time. Broken mothers are cornrows too tight against the scalp, too black for freedom. Too much of her is so ugly I can't bear to kiss you in the daylight. I have her mouth. Beauty is not beheld in the eyes. For I have known love I have never seen. It sounds like silence in the shower where once the chatter of water drone their shouting like two spiders at battle who can cover the most space in woven ancient fears. Sometimes I spend months alone in my room unraveling everything you created in me. And they who feed me love I have never tasted eat from your leftovers. Sometimes I forget I'm just a person, not some moist cunt wafting. Disrespect me, don't. Send help. Send someone who knows how to appreciate the taste of rotting fruit. Knows under the darkest bruises sweetness quivers. I smoke joints with my eyes closed. This chest, this Sounding board for their mistakes, plumes with a gentle stirring. No more violence today. Welcome to Queer Conversation. And today we are here in the studio with Mel Ree. Welcome, Mel. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Today we are actually going to discuss your show that is coming up at Stable Theatre. So we are going to talk a little bit about this. But first of all, let's talk about your work here in Sydney over the last few years in the queer community, mm. uh, specifically with spoken words. Mm-hmm. And how you came to eventually create and produce a one-woman show. Thank you so much for inviting me to talk about my favorite thing in the world, myself. (laughs) All right, let me introduce you to Mel Rees. So let's go way, way back. Rewind to my mother. My mom is from Papua New Guinea. Her father was the warrior chief of the village. So my mom comes from a very powerful, violent family. My dad is convict Australian. So he abandoned us in Papua New Guinea. I never grew up with my birth father, but my stepfather, who's Australian, brought us to Cairns when I was six years old, and I grew up in Cairns. So I grew up in Cairns. So it was a really hard childhood. You know, I come from a lot of pain. I come from a lot of trauma. So my mom grew up in violence. The only way she knew how to be a parent was to be violent. And her mother died when she was 11 because her father beat her so badly her kidneys failed. So my mom had a lot of trauma. And my stepdad that I grew up with had so much trauma that he never spoke about it, you know. So that kind of informs everything I've become. Because when I graduated from year 12, I was very competitive. I've always been a very competitive person. And I think it's because I come from a powerful woman, from my mother, who's also very competitive and powerful, which are the two amazing traits she passed on to me. And I was really good at drama and I was really good at English. And I was like, I'm going to be an actress. Watch me take over the damn world being an actress. So I moved to Townsville. Anyway, I wasn't ready to study. I did acting and arts. I left, moved to Melbourne, partied. I got into Whopper, big acting school. 
And then I did acting for three years and they dropped me off in Sydney and said, good luck with your life. So we got dropped off in Sydney and this would have been like eight years ago. However, because I had so much unhealed trauma and being in that hostile environment of facing yourself every day at acting school, I developed a really severe eating disorder, bulimia. So I was violently ill with the bulimia. I suffered silently. I didn't tell anyone the whole time I was sick. And obviously my acting career wasn't taking off because I was sick and the, and the industry didn't have a role for me yet, you know. And I called my older sister and I finally came out to her and said, I've been sick with, for so many years and my life is falling apart. And she said, move to Darwin, come here, rebuild yourself. So I hopped on a plane and I moved to Darwin, Groot Island, which is in Arnhem Land, very sacred indigenous land. And it's very sacred to my family because my siblings and I have all separately gone to Arnhem Land and healed ourselves. So it holds a lot of healing energy for my family. So I moved there. I lived there for almost two years. And every single day I did meditation. I literally had a breakdown to break through. I cried. I screamed in the rainforest. Oh, sorry. It's not rainforest there. It's bushland. Screamed in the bush and, you know, just literally rebuilded the fiber of who I was based on healing. And then when I got back to Sydney two years later, I was desperate to perform. And I would see all my friends, you know, they from graduating to that moment, they'd already succeeded succeeded in so many areas and achieved so much and it broke my heart like I would cry myself to sleep thinking I just want to perform and luckily one day my friends who run their own theater company called Blackbird City Company invited me to a poetry show and I rocked up to the poetry show and at that time it was word in hand run by the butch priestess herself Candy Royale when I met Candy that was the beginning of this Melry. I did a poem. I wrote it the night before and I'd always written poetry, but I never considered doing poetry. I just, it was just something I did. Um, and she said, she looked at me straight in the eye and she's like, sister, I want to be your mentor. And I was like, what? Like, she's like, yeah, I'm going to be a mentor. You're going to host my shows and um, you're going to become one of the best poets in Australia. And I was so enamored by her energy and her graciousness and her and just her presence, you know, and just this revolutionary spirit was so proud in her body, even though she was from an extremely marginalized group, Palestinian, queer, butch woman. And I said, absolutely. However, it was only six months later that she passed away. And within that six months, I was so inspired by her you know, the way she connected with me, the way she spoke belief into me, which I've realized is such a powerful tool that she did with so many people. Because every time you talk about Candy Royale, everyone has a story about how they lifted her up. She lifted them up, you know, like what a legacy. Okay, so her event Word in Hand was still running and I had hosted the show where she did her final performance ever which was so powerful. And I had a copy of her book and she signed it afterwards. I was screaming, I was crying, she was crying. Everybody knew it would be her final performance ever. She was so weak, you know. 
and she still gave it all of her potent energy and she wrote in it, Mel, keep rising, I'm always here, I'm watching. And I remember being so lit up, I walked home in the rain from that one performance and yeah, she passed away soon after. And there was another beautiful queer um, non-binary love, right? now they're non-binary, Rowan, yes. I'm still getting used to it. Rowan um, was the producer and said, you have to keep this going, you know. So I kept hosting. We kept curating people. But then COVID hit and I was like, I love this. I want to keep doing this. During COVID, I created my own event called Revolution Renegade. Um, because I, you know, it's all about the revolution, baby. And Renegade is just like, you know, it's the people's party. It's the one we choose. And since then, I've just come to find my strength in performance poetry, slam poetry, because it's the people's medium, you know, it's our voice. And anybody of any experience can get up there and speak and share. And it's the way we want to do it. And I, I'm very anti-establishment. I don't like to follow rules. I like to do what I want. So poetry has really given me a platform and so many opportunities. And it's interesting because since George Floyd died, I've been hired as an actor because now we're on brand. But yeah, I feel like poetry chose me. So I still have Revolution Renegade. We moved to the Giant Dwarf Theatre and then we moved to Darlinghurst Theatre. And now it's getting picked up by various festivals. We just did um, Art Aid with One Sydney and all the proceeds go to their chosen charity. Like It's doing really well because I've cultivated an amazing community of progressive thinkers, queer, POC, just any single person who's you know, out of the box, marginalized, who has been silenced. Like, it's such a really powerful space for us to connect. And a lot of people say to me all the time, like, I've never experienced a space like this. And I think it's because of my spirituality and my understanding of holding space. And for me, words are spells. You know, I think that we have to be very careful of how we speak because that energy of those words attracts them. And to me, that's a spell. So I have found that poetry is a sacred portal because it's a direct link to such depth in us. And storytelling is the oldest form of education. So obviously it's interwoven into our genetics to receive information and truths and lessons through speaking and storytelling. Let's talk about what's coming up. So you have gone one step further. You've written a play, a one-woman show. Yeah. Is that based on the concept of spoken words? It's a one-woman show that embodies all the facets of who I am, which is spoken word, which is acting, which is um, a very bold energy, which is inner West underground queer culture. I don't care about form. I don't care about structure. I'm telling my story because there's a lot to tell. And right now, healing is on trend. Spirituality is on trend. Owning your trauma is on trend. Those are all the things that mm. I'm obsessed with. Mm. And I've interwoven poetry. I've interwoven the types of dance that I can do. And I've just interwoven like the most honest truth I can tell from my body because I feel like My subculture of people, you know, inner West, underground, queer, people of color, like, I don't see our stories on stages. Mm. 
And we live so boldly, you know, we have such a vivaciousness and I just want to embody all of that. It is based on me. I don't, because my, okay, I'll tell you the story. I was estranged, I don't know if that's the right word. I hadn't seen my white father for 20 years because he abandoned us in Papua New Guinea. He said he was going to bring us here and he left us there. And then we found out he'd got another wife from Thailand. Um, so as I was growing up in Cairns, he tried to reconnect with me. I went to visit him in Perth a couple of times. But I just had such a disdain for him because of what I knew he did to my mother. And he was a stranger to me and he was a white man. He didn't reflect me at all. So I kind of rejected him, I guess, in the way that he rejected me now that I understand the situation. And at Christmas time, I got a message from my half-sister, who's the only other child he has. She's in her early 20s, saying, Dad's in palliative care. He's about to die. And I was like, okay. And this was COVID. Perth was an ultra-hot lockdown, remember? Yeah. It was a fortress. And then I got another phone call. It was like, you have to come in the next week or you'll never get to say goodbye. And funnily enough, the universe was playing with me because on the day that I could have flown out to see him, I also landed a commercial that was paying a lot of money, you know? And I was like, oh, I really want the money. And my friends were like, you will regret this for the rest of your life. Go there now. So I got on a plane and the thing is, the hospital was only allowing people one hour visits. So I had to say hello to my dad, goodbye to my dad in one hour, you know, and my plane was late to leave. So I had 15 minutes with him on the way from the airport to the hospital. It was a 40-minute drive, and I was catatonic. All of these emotions that I had suppressed about him were coming up. Mm. I realized I'd never asked him his side of the story. I never knew him. He never got to know me as the woman I've become. I just realized there was so much I had lost by just being angry. And I got to the airport and it was so chaotic because there was like three different checkpoints to make sure I didn't have COVID, even though I'd already done all these tests so many times. And I just ended up screaming at the people, my plane's leaving. I have to say goodbye. My dad's dying. Like at the top of my voice. And obviously everyone was like, okay, this girl's in pain. Get her into the room. And we got up there. And yeah, it was, there was just this old withered man and he couldn't hear me. He couldn't move. Oh no, he couldn't move. He couldn't say anything, but they said he could hear me. And I, all this stuff just came falling out of me. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I never gave you a chance. We never got a chance. I'm so sorry. I didn't come earlier. And then like, I just filled him in on everything everything I could tell him in the last 20 years of my life because I knew him, he, um, he could hear me. And then I kissed him on his forehead and I realized it was the first time in my whole life I'd kissed my dad. And when I kissed him, he had tears running down his eyes. It was so painful. Like I couldn't believe the amount of pain in my body. It was just overwhelming. And then the doctors and the nurses told me I had to leave and there was police escort there. I'd been there for 15 minutes and it's like, it felt like three seconds. I was just screaming. Like, I couldn't help it. They were trying to get me to shut up, but the pain was too much. And what made it worse is as I left the room, my dad was making this 
awful guttural scream with his throat. And like hearing him scream like that for me as I left just destroyed me. And then I had to come back to Sydney and get on with my life. And it was really, really painful. And I wanted to connect with my mom. But, you know, you, you in the play, I talk about this because it's real. My mom is very selfish to in the sense that she only knows how to survive. She's never been a generous mother. She's never cared what I've done. You know, I often feel like I don't have a mother. Um, so, yeah, the play is very raw for me because it's like I just decided I need to say this because I need to do something to move closer to my mother. And that's why after the play, I'm going to go to Papua New Guinea because even if she doesn't want to be a part of my life, I'm going to insert myself there just for a sense of self so that I know I did that, you know, because the greatest tragedy would have been if that was my mother. I don't know how I would move forward. Like there would just be too much pain. And I talk about this in the play as well. And it just feels like there's, there was so much pain at the beginning of my life. And it just feels like a lot. And so many artists I know who are diaspora, who have parents who migrated here from a third world country, we all have such similar stories, just parents who are so broken and so unavailable and just forging your way through life and trying to ground yourself, trying to create yourself, trying to just puzzle the pieces of who you are based on your own experience because you don't have that guide, you know. And it, it's it's a very common story amongst all the people I know and even amongst the queer community who are also being abandoned by their parents, you know. But it's also a testament to perseverance. As much as there's a lot of pain, you know, I think when you've had a lot of pain in your life, you can't help but feel everything to the nth degree, you know, joy, partying, sex, just expression, you know, pain carves deep, deep wells of expression. And so this play is also about perseverance, tenacity, you know, just that energy it takes to be a survivor when you've come from so much trauma. Mm. The stable yes. theaters, 27 September to the 8th of okay. October. Yes. So people can still get tickets? Yes, go on the Griffin Theater website um, or you can come on to my Instagram. I'll be talking about it all day, every day, Melry TV. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's m called Mother May We and Griffin Theater. If you just Google Mother May We Griffin Theater, my big afro and massive cheeks are going to pop up. I wanted to ask you, have you got any tips for a young poet who is wanting to start? Absolutely. I really believe in young poets. I love up-and-coming poets. I love it when people want to do it. First and foremost, come to a poetry event. We've got Bankstown Poetry Slam, Westside Poetry Slam, Revolution Renegade. There is a lot, a lot of poetry slams happening in Sydney. There's um, Bondi Poetry. There's Glee Books Poetry. Go immerse yourself in the community. Say hi to the people. Listen to their words. Get 
amongst the poets. So yes, go immerse yourself in the community, read poetry, read it. You might not not like all of it, but if you're attracted to it, there will be a poet that shares your story, shares your perspective, writes the way you want to write, and is going to light you up. For any POC or queer, I would recommend Ocean Vuong, Joelle Taylor, powerhouse poets. You like even people who don't read poetry read these books and like, okay, wow. You know, just so, so good. And I would also recommend JFDI. Just fucking do it. Just write. Do it. Are you a writer or are you a waiter? You know, there's no right way to write poetry. The only thing that's right is that you're in the practice of doing it and that you're telling your story. You know, I would also say, please, this is something that happens a lot. Don't tell somebody else's story. Just as a side note, only speak on what you know, which is what you've experienced, because um, that's that causes a lot of issues in the scene. I don't know why people feel the right to do that. But anyway, I know that's not you. It's all good. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's actually that the beautiful thing about poetry is it's so accessible. Anybody, you can walk off the street, no, not know anyone, never seen it before, and people will welcome you in. Um, and yeah, just do it. Just start writing. Start reading if you can. Start speaking. It was a pleasure having you here today, Mel. And I, I here. wish you all the luck with the show. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I'd love to see all the beauties there.